Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Yeah, I just bought my ticket home for at the end of the year, which the season ends in like three weeks or something like that. And uh, and then we have a 15-hour bus ride from Kansas City to Dallas. Uh, and at 3 a.m. when we get there, I get released. Welcome into another episode of Baseball Americas from Fiend to the Farm. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. On today's episode, we're talking to a guy who made stops in almost every area of professional baseball before getting to affiliated ball and eventually getting to the big leagues. We're talking to Jared Koenig, who is currently a double-A left-hander in the Padres organization, currently carving a double-A, who debuted last year in the big leagues for the A's. This is an episode I kind of pride this show on having unique stories this This might take the cake. Jared has played in the Pecos League, the Pacific Association, the travel team for the American Association. This is a every road less traveled. Jared has been on it. I was thrilled to have him on the show, taking some time uh, before a game to uh, to to talk to me and and walk me through his story. Really cool. Just an example of perseverance and, and where that can get a guy. Um, hope everyone enjoys it. I'm you know, going to be definitely rooting for Jared to get back to the big leagues, get some big outs. He's done really well this season, so was very excited to have him on. Yeah, episodes are for Phenom of the Farm drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoy this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast and go check out past interviews. And if you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA Podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. Big time for, for BA right now. We've got college baseball, got this is the the last episode before the NCAA bracket will be out, so be be tuning into that. Teddy Cahill's bubble watch, uh, updates from the conference tournaments. Obviously, the prospect hot sheet's still going strong. We got the draft coming up soon. A lot of good stuff at BA. Always a good time to be a subscriber. And with that, let's talk to Jared Koenig. All right, joining in for today's episode of Fiend on the Farm, he's a left-hander currently in the Padres system at Double A San Antonio. Jared Koenig. Jared, thank you so much for joining Fiend on the Farm. Yeah, hi. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. You have um we we try to have unique stories on this show, people from from all different walks and as far as a guy, as far as a path to the big leagues, you've got you got one of the more interesting ones. So, um want to want to start out to your your pre-professional pre-college days is is you got into late in high school. You were a standout in high school uh, out in California. Did did you feel like there was potential there? for a future big leaguer or future professional player. Yeah. I mean, I always, that was always the number one goal and I strived for it. I always, I knew I was always good and had, um, had the opportunity and I was never the the biggest player or the hardest throwing player, but I was always effective and getting outs and doing kind of everything I needed to, to just help the team win. And, and that aspect and, I've, once I played some more summer ball with my uh, one of my coaches, Terry Hartke, he he really uh, took a liking to me and really continued to help me and help me mentally and trust that I, I was good enough. 
I'm curious. You mentioned that you never, never threw the hardest. You, you throw very hard now. Yeah. With that, with, with that, your development being learning how to pitch first. I know now that especially even at younger ages in high school kid, people are training for velocity at an early age. What did, what did focusing on pitching? How has that helped you translate your game as you have gotten older and into your late twenties and then suddenly, you know, grown into and, and worked for some velocity? Yeah. I think that's been one of the, the things that's kind of kept me going. And, uh, in this in this game with with being velo and where it is i mean i can command the ball i can throw multiple pitches for strikes and any count and not worried about it and the uh so the fact that i'm able to or i was able to be a pitcher first instead of a a thrower first i think that's really helped me and i i think that's kind of the where the game needs to get back to is p- people pitching and then working on the the velocity after your your next step after high school is junior college, two years at, at Central Arizona. What made junior college the choice for you? Because you you know you said you didn't throw the hardest, but you were a a six five lefty who had a pretty standout high school career. What made junior college the move for you? Um, I actually chose JUCO to make sure I was going to play. Um, I had a couple D one offers. I could have went to like St. Mary's University of Portland. Um, I had one late as I was driving down to to junior college uh was to maryland but it was just it would be too much of a hassle to kind of switch everything around just to go out and do all that kind of stuff so how does that work if you're driving from california to arizona and and maryland calls and just say hey do you want to drive come as literally as far across the country as possible to come play yeah i mean that that's pretty much what it would have been i'm like uh, i I can't do that like if you guys were a week sooner maybe we could have talked about it but it was, it was just kind of how it worked out. And it was Terry Hardkey. He got me, he'd gotten me that option. And, and I kind of just, I was, I mean, it was cool to have, but then I was like, I just, it's not going to work. Like there was no, no real time to plan for it and everything. And I kind of committed one way. And I, I'm usually that person that says, if I commit to one thing, I kind of don't want to bail on it. And so that's what I did and opted for uh, the junior college that way. And I got my innings for the first couple of years, even though I wasn't as good as I would have liked. You did, though. You, I mean, you were a starter your first two years at junior college. And with that, there's the, the Juco bandit, Juco grinder, that whole mentality, which if you look at your early professional career, it seems like a, na- a natural fit there. If you hadn't gone to junior college, say if you, you know, you had gone to Maryland or, you know, you, you played a year at Old Dominion, if you had gone to like an ODU, could you have gone through the initial grind, pro ball grind that you went through? Um, I mean, I'd like to think I could, but I, I definitely think the, the junior college route assisted in that aspect mentally and physically and me being away from everything. Cause that was really the first time I'd been away, which I mean, I was comfortable with, but it was me figuring out myself as well, baseball wise and mechanics and not having like my dad or other guys that have coached me a long time, kind of give me pointers 24 seven to keep me in line. So it really did help me in that aspect and finding out a little more about myself and kind of always learning and picking things that I need to do and go from there. 2014, you have a good sophomore season in junior college. Walk me through your experience in the, in the 2014 draft. Um, I was, I was, uh, 
back home and I'm talking with uh, the White Sox had been the main guy. Um, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name right now. Uh, the scout, John, John, I can't think of his last name. All, that's crazy. But he's he's the guy that drafted Mark Burley and stuff like that. And he was a big, big force and kind of believing in me as well. And that kind of helped. But I was I was actually coaching my brother's uh, pony game. And I was just, I was like, I'll go out and help out. And I got a call. And then he said, hey, we're going to take you in the, the 35th round. I was like, sweet. So then I ended up getting the call. They chose me in the 35th round. And and then in that aspect, I was like, all right, well, I have some leverage. So now I'm trying to utilize that and get as much money as I can because when they invest more money in you, then you get more opportunity. So that was my whole whole intention. Were you signed with Old Dominion at that point? Like, did you have your your backup plan if, if not going to Pro Bowl? Yeah, I had signed in November. I was an early signee um, to old dominion and and so like I, I knew where i was going i had i had that that chance so then what did what did negotiations look like with with the white Sox? i i will say i got uh, obviously i got a lot of my research on this from um melissa lockard's article last year in the athletic about you mm-hmm. the 2014 draft famously carlos rodon slips to the white Sox at three yeah um carlos rodon i believe if i remember correctly commanded the biggest bonus in that first round Yes, he did. And so it was, with, it was with him and his agent being Scott Boris. So he got a million over slot value. And so I had been waiting around. It's probably been a month. I'm like, hey, so like, what's like, I told them I wanted around 300,000. Like, I figured that was reasonable. And getting me at a where there's always lots of room for improvement. They had me, as, they saw me as a reliever. Uh, ironically enough, considering I'm relieving now, but I was a starter and made it in the big leagues as a starter. Um, but I, with that, I, um, I was just like, all right, I mean, like, this is, this is kind of my number. Granted, if they would have gone lower, I would have definitely taken, I didn't want to go to school, but I, I was trying to get, get as much as I could. And with, uh, with base or with Rodan signing, they, I called and like checked in and they're like, Hey, so, uh, owner said, we're not going to sign any more guys anymore. And they, I think they ended up not signing like eight guys because of uh, Rodon's bonus. I was like, well, I guess I'm going to school. <laughs> so they didn't even put the 125 that wouldn't have counted against their pool on the table. They were just like, no, we're, we're good. Yep. Nothing. They, they Zero contract offer whatsoever. So how, as you get to campus and ODU, again, kind of like Maryland, as far across the country as you can get from home, where where was your mentality at? Because that's kind of like dream. Like you said, you would have signed for a lot less. Like dream pulled out from under you and being ushered into the secondary choice instead of having this number and saying, nah, uh, you know, I'm good. I, I'm committing to school. When it's like a forced decision, what was your mentality heading into that new experience uh, far, far away? I was, I mean, I was pretty confident. Um, being just drafted and like only, I mean, only a handful being a couple thousand players a year get drafted at that time in the 40 rounds. Um, I was pretty confident. I went in with a good attitude and thinking, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to go in and I'm going to be a, a higher draft pick now and everything like that. And I, I, I was doing everything I could, but I didn't quite get the help I needed, um, out there. And, 
it just never really materialized and I didn't have a good year. So then it never kind of panned out that way. How early in your run at ODU did you, and I'm, I'm curious about this all the time now because of the transfer portal and how often guys choose to choose to transfer. How early in your run did you think, all right, I need to start making some backup plans for my senior year? Uh, I had zero intentions. I, I planned on sticking it out and playing there. Uh, I wasn't even thinking like that. I was kind of cut off guard. I actually went in to talk about summer ball uh, before the end of the finals. And because I hadn't, like, I know a lot of guys were playing. I was like, all right, so like, well, what's my plan here? Am I doing? And then he goes, yeah, let's talk about that. So, hey, we're not going to, Finwood said, we're not going to have your, we're not going to retain your scholarship and everything like that. And so he's like, your numbers haven't been whatever. I'm like, yeah, okay. I mean, I, I couldn't say much. Like I wasn't like great. And I also chose not to burn a bridge because that would be, that would be not, not really the, the best thing to do. Um, I had some words I could have said and lit up on, but I decided to just really in reality, be the better person. And it all came to that. And um, I, I really enjoyed old dominion. Um, that was a lot of fun. The, baseball not as much and my performance didn't really help that as well but i i kind of that that's how it worked out i went in i was like all right well i then uh i started figuring out some things and talked to some buddies and kind of went around in that aspect to continue baseball somewhere else because that's pre-portal right that you just you had kind of had to fend for yourself there and figure something out yeah yeah there's nothing and how does that come around because that is uh you know it's late it's late in the spring a lot of scholarships are allocated by that point you're you're trying to figure out summer ball and then suddenly you've got to figure out where you're transferring your credits to yeah so i uh i so it's actually i remember the scout's name john kazanas uh i reached out to him and he's like yeah i think you should uh be in Arizona where there's every scout is there and you're going to get looks at. I'm like, he's like, I'll get you a workout with Arizona Christian. So on my drive home, but met my dad and he flew out to Cincinnati, picked him up. So we did like a nice road trip back home. Um, and then on in that same aspect, I figured out summer ball, called one of my buddies and that was with the San Francisco Seagulls. And I, I decided to, um, to because I, I it was a pay to play kind of one with it's not a big league and not a lot of money but it was somewhat close to home i knew a lot of the guys and they were good ball players and i was like yeah i'll do that perfect i'll get my innings in and kind of get to showcase for some teams if need be and so i did that and and then i so we're making the cross country get to arizona and i uh i have the workout with uh arizona christian i can't remember the pitching coach's name but Bill Swift was the uh, the head coach, former Giants, uh, big leaguer, and all that. And so I'm I'm there throwing the bull, bullpen. It's like 85, 86. Not really good below. But both of them say, yeah, it looks like it's way harder than 85, 86. I'm like, well, I've said that my whole life. I, I've always disagreed with radar guns for uh, that aspect being. And I think what it is is my extension is really good. And so that always added some hidden velo that's not actually velo mm -hmm. uh, perceived they perceived and so with that uh he said bill swift said the only thing i noticed was that it looks like you're reaching so it looked like i was reaching back instead of getting to that 90 and with all that aspect i think i was reaching trying to throw better and or throw harder and 
that's what kind of clicked. And so when, when I started correcting that and getting to the 90, my velo went up four miles an hour my command went up tenfold. Um, and just so I, I was sitting like 88, 92, probably that whole summer. And my, my walks went down cause I walked a lot of guys, which was not normal for me, uh, growing up. And after that, I, I kind of continued to tweak things. And then I just reached out to Cal State Monterey Bay and C coach white came out and actually first I had a, I reached out to him. He called me back within 10 minutes of me emailing him. And he's like, yeah, uh, when are you free to meet? So we went and met, uh, got some, uh, or did a meeting around the, around the whole campus and all that. And I liked his, his way of talking. You could tell he wasn't trying to sell you. He was just doing his thing. And I was like, all right, cool. And then he came out to, to watch me throw in a summer ball game, which was actually my worst outing of the year. <laughs> and we had a brawl. So it was a, uh, an eventful day for entertaining game though yeah he's like hey after the game or after i came out of the game he's like hey i still want you i was just coming out here for support i was like all right that's good to know <laughs> i mean so cal state monterey bay division two school also played a division two school and i know nothing gets a division two coach more excited than a guy from a division one school who no longer is going to be at that division one school coach love always loved hearing if anyone's friends are unhappy where they're at. So yeah. I, I, I can imagine that that guy could overlook a tough outing in a brawl. If you're throwing a uh, 88 to 92. So you go there, you can, you wrap up your senior year, you have a good year, you, you know, you actually get those innings. How, how pro ball ready were you? Like what, what convinced you to say, yeah, this, you know, I, you didn't get drafted. W what convinced you to say, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to keep, I want to keep this going. Uh, uh, well, so I, I had a solid year. Um, I talked with coaches or I talked with some scouts, like the Marlin scout was interested in me and some other guys. I say solid, like I had a, a good year. Like it, it was good enough to get drafted, but not like, outstanding i had i had injured i got injured twice during that year which was i think what really helped hurt me uh i had a rib slip out which turned out to be not enough uh scap scap exercise or something like that so i got the crossover symmetry bands worked on that and then i also got drilled in the head kind of during the same time um and so that kind of took away overall i think that took away four or five weeks out of the season, which kind of probably that probably hurt me the most in regards to like draft status and everything like that. But I finished the year strong and I was like, okay, well, if I'm not going to get drafted, I'll see if there's a free agent signing or whatever. And then it's like, oh, I'll play Summer Ball again. So I played Summer Ball again. I was lights out, perfect game, All American, all that kind of cool stuff, whatever it is. I uh, had a couple teams come out and then I, I reached out to Tom Kunis, uh, who I had spoken with when I was out of high school at the Stanford camp and I did a workout for him and he, he recommended me for their driveline desk program, which was under Gabe Kapler at the time. And they ended up not choosing me. So then I was like, all right, now I'm kind of just, I was like in a weird spot. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Cause I've all, all I've ever done is baseball and everything like that. And then I, uh, I think my, dad actually ran into one of my buddies uh and his mom at uh like safeway or something i don't know uh some grocery store and they 
they he was playing uh indie ball out in the United Shores League. And and so he reached out to the coach, got me a spring training invite for that. And then that's kind of it's kind of just how it happened. I kind of just started started the initial process of the grind. You are uh as far as past guests on this show, I think this will be episode eighty-two, mostly uh former or current players. You're you're checking a couple boxes that we haven't had yet. We haven't had, you know, the United Shores League, haven't had the Pacific Association, and then haven't had the Pecos League, which I've I've had friends in the Pecos League was like if you played Division Two ball in the South, that's like the natural, it's like the graduate school program is the Pecos League. So yeah. you've now you've you've now played an upper up the upper minor leagues and stuff like that with with the Pecos League, the United Shores League. What's the baseball like? What is the lifestyle like in the Pecos? Yeah. Pe- Pecos, United Shores. I mean, you're you got a lot of different. I mean, over the course of 2017, 2018, you're you're checking a lot of different boxes of places yeah, you're playing. We'll go with the United Shores to start. Uh, since that, we'll just go in order of how it, how it all went down and everything like that. And I was so United Shores was uh, the Birmingham Bloomfield Beavers. And we got paid 600 bucks a month, which I was like, oh, that's great. And then you you don't incorporate taxes, and then you don't incorporate living involved in that. And so I'm there for the first month. They have me as a lefty specialist. Um, if anyone had paid attention back then, lefties usually hit me better than right-handers. So it didn't quite make sense. Um, but I'm like, all right, I'll do what I can. And the first outing came in, bases loaded, one out, pop-up, strikeout, or strikeout, pop-up, one of the two, and the coach didn't even shake my hand after like great job or anything. Just like, I was like, all right, well, you're kind of a douche. Um, and I was, and then the next outing I came in and I think I gave up a home run to someone. I don't remember what happened. So, like, okay, whatever. And then, like, and then he talks to me. He's like, Hey, so uh, what's going on? I go, well, I'm just not making some pitches. And so it's like, well, you're kind of on a short lease. And I'm like, all right, good to know. And then, my last outing there, I'm not even supposed to pitch that day. I was told I'm not pitching. And sure enough, comes down to the bullpen or someone comes down and says, hey, Jared, get going. I go, okay. I was told I wasn't going to throw today, but all right. And so then I get going and I did okay. I think I gave up like a, a small base hit that ended up scoring a run or something. And one, of the, I remember one of the persons I'd been speak, talking to, like a, some – uh, mom that worked there or something she goes hey good like good job I'm like yeah well it's not gonna save my job and uh sure enough right then after that I get in and hey and so we're gonna release you I said okay sounds good so I went back to the apartment got my stuff backed up called my aunt she lived in South Bend Indiana and so then she ended up making the drive to come get me which was kind of a long drive and then uh so you get released from the United Shores Baseball League Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, is it you get cut? Are you like, okay, I got to find, you know, got to find something else. And I, this will kind of be a repeated question, but like, how often are you just like, you know, I got these college credits. I got, you know, I'm, you know, I, I could just go to work. What's how does that ever creep in? Uh, Not really. Cause I really just didn't want to finish school. Um, I've always had my, my, buddy's sister and my grandma they've been on my ass my whole life about uh getting college and i was like i don't want to finish like i don't have a desire to go back to school like it's it was 
the problem was it was always too easy for me. So it was so boring and there was nothing to, to interest me in going back. And that's why like my grades weren't always the best because it was, I was just not entertained by it. And so, yeah, that wasn't a process. I was just like, all right, what's next. And so then I, and my buddy, Logan, he had actually been released like two weeks prior as well. Um, and so I was, and that one just, it just didn't make sense why he was released. And so I was like, okay, so I actually reached out to him, I think. And, but then I also reached out to my, uh, one of my former coaches and former big leaguer was Mark Highcorn. And he's like, huh, I can reach out to the, uh, the Pecos league guy and get you. Cause I guess they normally didn't sign guys from the United Shores league for some reason. I was like, okay. And he reached out and he, uh, he called, he called up and, uh, they, he got me signed on to the, the Monterey Amberjacks. And so I flew home and I, I, uh, I met the team and I think they're playing, uh, they're doing a practice in Hollister or something like that. And the normal games, most of the games were in, uh, Monterey, but sometimes they had the Hollister games. So I was like, Hey guys, how's it going? And then my first outing, which I hadn't thrown in a year or something like that and thrown like six innings and in first outing of six innings and I'm like, Oh man, I'm tired. <laughs> and so that started the Amberjacks and then I threw well another four weeks or so. And they moved me up to the American association, which was the, that year, the Laredo lemurs, they had folded. And so the Salinas stockade had taken their travel schedule or taken their schedule and became the travel team for the Pecos. And so, or for the American um, I got moved up to that team. And from there, I was, uh, I was there for five weeks, had two really good outings. The first two, uh, seven and eight innings, like total of one or two runs, not a lot of strikeouts, but just balls in play and soft contact. And then the next three outings weren't very good. And so then we have a, my parents had, or my mom and brother had just came visiting in Kansas city. I just bought my ticket home for at the end of the year, which the season ends in like three weeks or something like that. And, uh, and then we'd have 15 hour bus ride from Kansas city to Dallas. Uh, and at 3 a.m. when we get there, I get released. I'm oh like, hey, God. man, we're <laughs> like, you got done this 15 hours before, and I could have went home with my mom. Like, and I also wouldn't have bought my ticket. So the ticket was non refundable. So I had to buy another ticket, uh, to go home. And then uh, the uh, San Rafael Pacifics called. Uh, so I guess 3 a.m., I got a flight that morning, landed at like, or I landed probably around one. I think my flight was around nine. And then I uh, got a call from San Rafael Pacifics like 15 minutes after I landed. And I went that. I went to them. Uh, I think I had two days at home before I went up there and was there for the last two weeks of the season. What does your bank account look like at, at, at that point? And like, like making, I mean, buying plane tickets, not cheap. Your yeah. expenses in general during this whole season like how how are you stretching this how are you making this work thankfully my parents were uh helping out i wasn't purely on my own uh dime i was because money was non-existent in the in i mean in the united shores league it was 600 bucks a month 300 went to rent and then you're still getting taxed and when i got home they sent the check and it was zero dollars 
Uh, <laughs> and then uh, number the Pecos League, I think I was getting 50 bucks a week and we were driving ourselves. So they're not actually making any money or losing money every time. Like we had a road trip to Tucson that we had to cover for Monterey. And um, I think we ended up getting like maybe 40 bucks in gas for that. So that worked out well. Um, and then in, in Salina, obviously we were, I got a little pay boost. It's like 75 bucks a month. And you guys were permanently on the road? Yeah, permanently on the road travel team. So, and I think we did get some meal money there because the the that was part of the deal. The other teams had to pay the meal money. So it was a little extra boost. So I think it was like 75 a week. And then on top of that, I was getting maybe 30 or like maybe 10, 12 bucks a day, maybe more. I don't know. Uh, and then in in San Pablo Civics, I was thinking I was getting 400 bucks a month. And I, and I was only there for two weeks, so I probably got like 100 bucks in reality. And at least there they had host families and didn't have to worry about that. And driving wasn't as bad. And we got we got covered for driving as long as we had more than uh, two people in the car. So you go through this season where you're playing for four teams, you make no money, and you say, that's great, let's do it again. Again, m- most yeah. of my research comes from Melissa Lockard's article in The Athletic on you, which is very good. Uh, she mentions heading to Rossi's training as a big turning point and for who you were on the, on, on the field. What about starting up yeah. there changed who you were on the mound? What's spring like in Park City, Utah? Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide open spaces by snowshoe or cross country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its Opre ski scene and award winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com. Yeah, so uh, the, the in between 17 and 18 is kind of where my mentality changed. Like I worked out a little bit more. Um, and I hadn't set up with Rossi's yet. That was until that was until after uh, the 2018 season. But with Kavanaugh, who is probably one of the best coaches I've ever played with um, or played under, and he he uh, he he said I did I showed enough that they wanted to bring me back uh, for 18. So I'm like, all right, cool. So I know I have a, a job next year, like already lined up. I don't have to worry about searching for another team. And I do that. Uh, off season, I do, do a little more workouts, like stuff. I'm, I mean, I was never a big working out guy. I didn't know, like, like kind of what to do. I was never that, never understood that well in my brain. I never really researched it. Never really cared to. Um, I was like, I'm just. I played solely off of joy and fun and kind of that stuff. But I also created a lot of stress for myself um, and put too much on my plate in my mind. And so, in between eighteen. And or 17, 18, I kind of changed my mentality. I'm like, you know, this could be my last year. Uh, I started looking for other jobs. I did some, uh, I did like the, the, the police tests. Cause I, I wouldn't mind being a, a police officer or something like that. And so I had done, um, I had done all the past. I passed all the tests. I scored like a 63 on the, the, the police test. And, the physical test was easy. And so I was like, all right, I have kind of my backup plan in place. Started looking at some places and stuff like that. And, but I, I still wanted to play. So I wasn't going to write off playing. And so 18, 
I had a, I, I changed my mentality. I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go out and just enjoy my time. Go out. Cause I used to never do anything. Like I would never go out before a game or anything like that. I would just, I'm like, no, I can't do that. And then I, I changed that mentality and when I had fun and then I started throwing even better on top of that. And I, so I had a really good year. And then, and, uh, at the end of the year, I was pitcher of the year, all that stuff. And then Kevin, I was like, Hey, you've got a lot of potential. Like you just need to, we need, so I'm going to set you up with someone. And then, so he set me up with Matt at Rosie's training and well, well, really never looked back. What, what, how quick did you notice a difference? You, you started that training in the off season. And then when did you notice, like, I am, I'm, I might be a little different now. Uh, I'd say probably around March. Cause I, I think I started late October, early November, somewhere in that aspect. And I put on, probably put on 25 pounds and weight. I mean, at first I lost weight, like the first two weeks I was losing weight cause I wasn't eating enough. And so then I had to, I have my, my eating, my calorie intake. And from there, uh, I'd say March. I was, my velo was much more consistent. I was probably sitting 88, 92 again, which I had, I had lost a little bit of that, but everything was really consistent. I was never, there was no big variation in that. Um, my mechanics kind of changed a little bit, it became, cause I was very linear. I grew up in the linear age of baseball, not the rotational age. So it was me adjusting to kind of rotation. I'm still adjusting to that every day, but that's, uh, I came more rotational everything kind of sequenced better mechanics cleaned up and started using my legs a little more. And then, uh, I had a, I, I was with the, like Erie, or I was signed with the Milwaukee milkmen and they ended up trading me to the Lake Erie crushers before the, before their spring training before Milwaukee milkmen spring training. But yeah. And then I, I was committed. I was coaching, uh, Scotts Valley high school and I couldn't, I couldn't go anywhere. I was the head coach of the JV team. I'm like, and when the coach called me, he's like, Hey, we're gonna, we, we traded for you. We, we need you to be here. I'm like, I'm not going to be there. I was, I was planning on a certain date. Like you're going to have to give me a few more days. He's like, and then I got my contract and I was told my money would stay the same. Cause it was, it was a big difference from where I was at 400 bucks a month to the American was like, I think 1200 was the minimum a month for a rookie. And when I got my contract from the crushers, it was said seven fifty a month. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm I'm not playing for seven fifty a month. Like I I need to make a little bit of money here. And so then I reached back out to the coach that traded me. And then and then the coach that had traded for me, Cam Roth, he's like, if you got like questions about money, like just talk to me. And I'm like, well, I was told something else. So I was going to the source. And he uh He's like, well, what do you need? I'm like, well, I need at least a thousand dollars a month. Like, I'm expecting twelve hundred, and all of a sudden, I'm taking a pay cut because they traded me. I'm like, no, that, that can't happen. And he's like, well, you're you're a rookie. I'm like, yeah, but I have some experience in American. And he's he's like, well, with when you make more money, you're gonna be on a short leash. I'm like, I don't care about being on a short leash. I'm here to be the best pitcher in the league. And and he's like, so then he's like, let me see what I can do. And he worked on. He texted me the next day. He's like, how about like 900? And then five seconds later, he said, nah, screw it. We'll just make it a thousand. And so I got the thousand dollars I needed. And I, 
and then I ended up being the best pitcher in the league, even though I didn't get the award for it. Well, you train, you transition that into an opportunity in Australia. And before yeah. we get into the baseball in Australia, the flight, the flight to me always, that flight seems like the biggest beating. What are the, what are the, like your travel tips making that flight? Cause you've made it at least twice. Uh, so the, the, the biggest thing was, um, we did the, the team got me a red eye. And that helped immensely. And luckily, it wasn't a packed flight to to New Zealand. And I had the whole road to myself, so I was able to lay down and sleep. And that was that was my first. I'd never been off out of the United States or off the mainland, so that was my first like truly long flight. And I was a little groggy that day, but I my whole goal was to stay up until I uh, couldn't anymore, basically, because I got there like I think it was. I think it was like 10 in the morning. Like we were there pretty early, like for the, with the time change and everything. And so I, I stayed up as long as I could. I think I made it till about 10 o'clock PM and I slept. I just knocked out like probably within five seconds of me hitting my head on the pillow. And that never happens. And it was probably the best sleep I've ever had in my life. I, I didn't move a muscle. I was just there. And I, I woke up refreshed and I think that kind of, to me, that's the way to do it. Take a red eye and then stay up the whole day. And then I think you kind of adjust a lot quicker that way. You adjust it on the field too. You have this good showing in Australia. Is baseball different there at all? Are the you know, the vibes different, the environment different? Is there was there anything that took some adjusting getting used to? Because like there's no language barrier, like if you're going to play in Korea, but we you know, are there yeah. adjustments made? Uh I mean a, a little bit, but we had a lot of a lot of American guys, like it was a lot of minor leaguers and everything. Yeah, there's the Kiwis out there and and a couple of Aussies because we were we were in New Zealand with Auckland to Atar there. Um, yeah, we the I wouldn't say there's a big adjustment except going in New Zealand. Baseball is not even a, nearly as big as Australia, so some of the like our our spring training field because the our stadium wasn't yet done. They hadn't quite finished everything with the. Uh, with the field getting it ready again from the past season. So we were getting everything and we were on this, uh, you can call it a backfield, but it's, it was in a different town and there was no uh, fence and it was really beat up. And I'm like, okay, well, the mound was terrible and all that. And I had to throw like three innings there and I threw three innings and I didn't not throw well. And I know Mincy was concerned. He's like, uh, what do we have here? Like, cause I, I did not throw well. He's like, I don't know. And DJ's like, just trust. I think, I think he's going to be fine. And then my first outing, I, I went six innings on like 65 pitches with seven punchies. <laughs> he's like, okay, I think we're good. You turn that, you have this good, this good winner there. When you first get contacted by the A's, you have been talked to the by teams in the Pecos League and the United Shores Baseball. Yeah. What is it? What did it do to you to just hey, the A's are interested in signing you? Uh, I was like, all right. Well, I mean, this is the whole reason I left the United States. I literally said, all right, if I'm not going to get signed here, I got to go out, out of the country. And I figured also might might as well get experience out of it. And so I went out there and. And then when I when I had that like initial because they I think they go like right around the scout didn't his name is Dan Matrain he never asked uh, our 
our analytics guy that we had when he was sitting next to him at the game in Melbourne. Never asked him for like my contact information. So he had to like do a whole crazy circle to to find my number and reach out to me. And that was after Melbourne. So it was the second week. And so I'm in between the third, second and third week, getting a call and say, Hey, I'm like submitting your name. Like I want, I want them to sign you. I'm like, All right, great. Like, cool. Let's hope it actually happens. And then I get a call Thursday um, before, or maybe it's a text. I can't remember. And they say, Hey, we actually don't have room for you. Can't sign you. Sorry. I'm like, all right, no worries. Like, I mean, that's how it's been my whole life. So it's kind of fine. Um, and then I went out and, through another six innings, one run. And then uh, on Monday, I think they called and said, Hey, yeah, we're actually going to sign you now. We have room. I'm like, they found, they found okay. some room. They found some room. And so then that whole process kind of took a couple weeks because they had to go through the crushers uh, who had rights to my contract still and, and all that aspect. So with that, they, they figured out the logistics and everything of that sort. And I talked with, uh, Mincy and DJ and I, I wanted to stay through Adelaide, which was our sixth week. So I did that. And then I went home because that's what the A's wanted. Otherwise I would have stayed out there, even though I had 140 in- innings under my belt already. So you get signed by the A's. You finally broken into affiliated ball, got all the momentum behind you. Pandemic, no minor league season. Mm-hmm. When when yeah. you finally when you the A's invite you to Instructs when you get to Instructs and after years in the Pecos League and pitching on some random bad mound in New Zealand and all that stuff and you know it's still Instructs but it is you're wearing that A's uniform and that actual New Era hat and pitching on yeah. a nice manicured mound does yeah what would you say like is it easy to compare like your appreciation level to compared to a guy who has played a couple minor league seasons and is stuck down in instructs or something like that. Like, did it feel, did it feel weightier or just so, you know, feel cooler really? Uh, I, I think that year of instructs was much different. Um, it was very different. They, they brought in their new draft picks, which that year was only five rounds mm-hmm. anyway. So they had their top five picks. Um, they had, uh with that they had the a lot of their prospects like their higher rated guys that they they thought would be their kind of guys so i got to play with a lot of a lot of the like guys you or at least that's from what i can tell it looked like a lot of guys they 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 thought they had some promise with and i think they brought me in because they had no clue what they were getting with me and when when gill had called me and said hey you're you're gonna go to instructs in uh in October, I think it was, and I, I was in September. I was just on my way out to go elk hunting, uh, which I'd never have a chance to do because I'm always uh, playing baseball or doing in school or something. I was like pissed off. I'm like, I don't want to go. Like, I want to, I want to do like some hunting and stuff like that. And I was like, <laughs> and then I, I thought about it. I'm like, I talked to him, like, is this going to benefit me? He's like, yeah, I think it'll benefit you. I'm like, okay. Then so I was like, all right, I'll be fine with it. It's only a month. I still get paid. So I made a lot of money and, and when we, yeah, when I was there though, it was nice. Like, but like anything, I'm meeting more people. Like I met a couple guys from the week of spring training we had, but there were still a lot of guys I didn't know and had to get to meet. But overall, like it was, it was a good experience and I'm sure it was different than most instructs. Like we played games more than anything. Um, not necessarily, not necessarily as many drills and, 
and all that aspects. Like we weren't forced to cram in a room because of COVID rules. We had to have our own room. Um, so it, it, overall, though, it was it was a good experience to get me into that for to get me ready for uh, the next season. You head out to Double A Midland Minor League Baseball, affiliated Minor League Baseball. What what's different versus a lot of your previous stops, and what what is the same is there anything that kind of surprised you of i thought this would be different i thought this would feel different uh the weirdest thing to me was getting used to being forced to to lift and do things like that like normally with indie ball i was doing my own program i could do what i needed to do and and then like the constant running which was it's been proven that like long distance running and all that stuff isn't beneficial to the players yet with A's we we constantly did that and so it was it was it was a big adjustment which I just I I didn't have any place to say anything I just did what I needed to do and did my work and I would manage to what I need what I need to get done um the the other other aspects I'd say that were pretty much the same as I I faced guys in AAA that were in AAA and some in the big leagues and I I think it was the talent was there I think it was just the the one through nine was better in double a uh and then it was just kind of figuring out the figuring out how each org worked and their approach to the game and stuff like that and once i kind of figured that out then i was like okay i can pitch this way to get these guys out because that's kind of how they're hitting not to give away trade secrets or anything because you're still you I mean you're in the the Texas League right now but do you have like an example of that of you you don't have even if you don't want to like name the team or something but like a certain team is doing this or No, I'll name the team. It was the cuz so I I was getting my ass handed to me in in Tulsa against the Dodgers. I had a Tuesday Sunday game, absolute terrible game the first first game and and i say absolute terrible it was probably like three runs and four innings or something like that like it was a grind i didn't throw well or maybe three innings i didn't throw well maybe five runs i don't know um and i i was not throwing well they would lay off every curveball in the dirt i'm like what is going on like i'm throwing like perfect curveballs and normally like that's but that's also like a big strikeout pitch and getting used to the analytics or the the video side that everyone has that's also another thing in any ball, you don't have the video. So every other work has video information on everything. I was like, okay, so I got to keep learning that way. And so I know when I have a Sunday start, I'm like, okay, what, what can I do differently? So I'm watching this whole week and I'm thinking, well, they're a big four seam team. They like their ride and their bounds very flat. So there's, it, it plays into having the induced vert and everything like that. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to throw more four seamers. And only time we're going to throw curveballs is going to be early in the count. Two strikes won't won't do that. And then my slider that I had at the time, uh, I I'd say we threw that a little bit. And then if there was a couple guys that were hitting me well, because I already move on the rubber for righties, I'm on the third base side, lefties I'm on the first base side. All right, I used to be all the way over. Now I'm in the middle. Um, but for some guys that hit me better, I moved to the other side and I threw at their hands. So it made it harder to hit. Um, and with that, the, uh, I, I threw more four seamers the second outing and I still didn't throw like as deep as I would have liked, but uh, everything was much better. Like, I wasn't getting hit hard and it was just, it was just fighting to get them to swing and miss on a lot of pitches. And so I threw a lot of four seamers that way. And, um, I think I went, 
four plus innings, but only one run. So I, I completely managed and minimized from what I had done the, uh, the previous outing and kind of adjusted that way. And then pushed to the end of the year, the last outing of the year, I needed seven strikeouts for a hundred. And it's against, of course, the Tulsa drillers. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to get these. And so I kind of kept that same, same idea of what I was doing, um, from that Sunday outing. And then I pitched that same way and I got the seventh strikeout on my last, uh, my last pitch of that game. And I went seven innings and gave up one run and I was under much more control with the team. And yeah. And that puts, you know, that, that put a bow on a year where you had a three, two, six organization pitcher of the year standout season where suddenly you've gone from guy who was playing in the Pecos league to you're, you're on the bus yeah. Now you go to triple a Las Vegas in to, to mm-hmm. open 2022 and as is relevant right now what thoughts on las vegas as a as a baseball city as a city to you know live in as a as an as an employee and then as a city to pitch in because uh you know there are only a few major league or potential major league cities that have the kind of elevation that that vegas does yeah um it Vegas, like the aviators, what they've done is fantastic. That place is, it's legit. It's by far the best ballpark in all of minor league baseball. And if, if you are, you, you haven't been there. You could make um, a strong argument experience. that it's the best ballpark in the Oakland A's organization, all ballparks included. <laughs> <laughs> that, that could be made an argument at times. Yes. Um, uh, I, I think Vegas technically is a viable option, but I would much rather see Oakland stay in Oakland, um, especially me being from the Bay Area, going up to games where they have their intended idea in in Oakland would be perfect. It would be similar to San Francisco, how San Francisco turned a terrible spot into a really nice destination spot now for where that where the Giant Stadium's at, and I think. Oakland could do the same as long as they put the money in and invest it all around it as well. Like it, it comes with a trade-off. Um, but Vegas, where we were at Summerlin, the elevation was like 3,400 feet on the strip where they want it. It's only like 1,800, but yeah, 1,800 still, the ball still flies there. And when you get the crazy desert winds that are always blown out or whether you get the lucky of a storm coming in and winds blown in, then yeah, you're going to give up. There's going to be more runs. So it's like having the dome or not like then like you have to have a dome there because it's so freaking hot. Yeah. It'd be uh, people attending those games would be baking in the sun, big league games. Yeah. So you definitely would need that. You would need a dome no matter what. And um, yes, I think it's an option. Uh, Do I, and, and like Summerlin, like where the aviators are at was fantastic. Now, being on the strip, it's a little different. You get all the tourists and all that stuff, and it makes it. I think it makes it a little tougher. But uh, I mean, it's not. It's not my decision. I'm plus I'm not with them as of right now, anyways. Uh, I, but I would like honestly, I would like them to stay in Oakland. I think it would be best for the game and all those fans. Those fans in Oakland are are fantastic, and I understand they're they're physically boycotting and, but that also benefits the way of the owner because it shows that they're not getting attendance numbers. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree. I would like to see them stay in Oakland, but speaking of, of Oakland themselves, walk me through getting called up by your 
your hometown team, essentially, after years in the Pecos League and in the American Association and everything you went through. Yeah. So we we had a we had a a team meeting and I thought we were getting ripped for something. I'm like, I don't know why we're having a meeting because it was like five o'clock for four or seven o'clock game. Like this doesn't make any sense. I'm like, all right, whatever. And then Zach Logue, who's next to me, my locker mate, he's like, I think someone's getting called up. I go, he's probably you. I go, no, it's not me. Like, that's not like, no, there's no way. I just had a, like an average outing. I had to grind through an outing. I'm like, there's no way they would decide now. And, uh, and we had Steven vote in town. And so he's, and so then he starts talking and it's just like, Oh, so he's just doing like kind of his kind of giveaway speech. I know he wants to be a manager and Sunday we're always busy. We're not gonna have time to get like for something like this. And he starts talking and does all that stuff. And like says, and just how he really likes the group of guys how we compete with each other and all that. And then uh, I'm looking around and I see someone recording I'm like, oh, maybe he just wants this like as a memory, like, you know, like talking to the team, like to look back on like that. I'm like trying to think in that aspect. And then he goes and transitions after he, or he pauses, like, so that's it. Just want to say I'm good. Thank you. And then, uh, and then he transitions to goes, you know what? Actually, I forgot something. It's so cool to go to the big leagues and, and be all that kind of stuff. And everyone's got their own different path. And once he sat down, like, wait, what are we doing? And and then he said, uh, Jared, you're going to the to the big leagues. And I just put my head down and I was just like, I just I was. Yeah, that was, that was a tearjerker. And I was pumped. I mean, a lifelong dream was basically achieved from that point on right there. And the thing I always like to ask for the first start, but even that that initial run, you make five starts, 10 appearances in the big leagues last year. How do you put aside this is crazy? this is a lifelong dream. This is the team I grew up pitching for. This is the major leagues versus like, Oh, I have a job to do. I actually have to get these guys out. I have to focus the same way I would if I was pitching in the Pecos league. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, my whole focus was, uh, get ahead and throw strikes and, and kind of just trust Murphy, what he's going to call and everything like that. And, and that was kind of my intention. I'm not a big, like, I'm not a big video guy watching other players, hit and swing I, I watch better in person and live and seeing swings like that and i yeah i was i was like all right i'm gonna i mean i kind of treated the same but i that definitely felt more nerves than normal uh considering where i've how i had adjusted my mentality and it was uh it was a great experience and i for overall i threw well minus the the fifth inning getting a little uh a little a couple extra hits, which I thought I made some good pitches on. They just, they just hit them. And the biggest thing I noticed was the swing and miss and chase rate was just nowhere near the same as uh, even in AAA. So with that, you, you have your rookie season last year, you head into, you become a free agent, you get non-tendered. Um, when you're one, you're figuring out where you're going to play in 2023. And then two, you have now you've learned these things about the big leagues. How did your training change this off season when you now have this game plan of this is what I need to do to have success at the big league level? Yeah. Um, the biggest thing Matt and I talked about was, uh, increasing velo, and it wasn't necessarily increasing. I think we always knew we had some velo in there, uh, because I could reach back at times and touch a 94, 90, maybe a 95, um, and so now the, uh, the idea was to really work on this and continue to get better mobility wise and, 
uh, keep stopping, like basically stopping the catapult faster and moving down the mountain faster to where I could rotate and pull everything back and kind of create that whip and momentum that I needed. And so that was, that was the, the main focus was mobility and continuing what we've been working on over the last five years and getting that point. And then we also took away my, uh, like slutter and we turned it into a true cutter, something I had been playing with at the end of the year last year. And it was just the Corbin Burns grip. And with that, I've had, I've had pretty good success. Um, and that, that was the main reason I think I got signed by the Padres was the cutter in, in some live ABs. And then the head came out and, and watched me throw and all that. And my VLO was still like average. I was probably like 90, 91 and 92. And those, those live ABs, and all that but that was everything was moving in the right direction so once we kind of took the deload off or took like started the deload and kind of worked on more speed then the speed down the mound was a big factor and that's kind of continued where we're at now and you're now in double a in the bullpen how do you feel like the Mm -hmm. bullpen suits you long-term suits your mentality is it something are you hoping to get another shot in a rotation are you pretty content and this is my path and this is what i'm gonna try to use to get back to the big leagues uh, I mean, with the Padres, the best bet for me is is to be in the bullpen. It's hard for me to, to crack the rotation, but they, they saw me. The, what they liked about me is I could do both, and I showed I could do it in the big start, and I could um, come out of the bullpen. So that's been the biggest thing, and I'm I'm happy in the bullpen. I don't, have mind, I don't mind it, knowing that I can go out there and throw two, three innings, and uh, or if it's one inning and – coming out and doing that and kind of just letting it eat a little more. So with that, I usually, um, I usually wrap the show with kind of just talk to your, you know, a lot of the times it's a guy who's retired, who's done talk to your kind of 22 yeah. or 18 year old self what, pep talk. I'm still going to ask mm-hmm. you to give that pep talk to your 22 year old self, even though you don't have full career retrospective because you're, you know, yeah. you're just kind of entering your prime really. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'd say the biggest thing for me would be going to my uh, would be finding a good trainer and then whoever's good with the baseball specifics and body movement and who wants to learn is there to help you is not just there for money. They're they're there to get you better. And I talk with Matt every day and he's become family instead of just my trainer. Like he's he's one of the best. And from everyone I talk to and, and see about their trainers, I'm like, wow, I have it. I have a special. He's by far one of the best. And he always and he's there for you. He he cares every about every outing and he does it with high school. He does it with his little leaguers that he works with. Like that it's from top to bottom. It's just who he is. So that would that'd be the biggest thing is find a good trainer and then build off of that and then eat your food and eat eat right. Got a quick rapid fire for you, and then I'll let you get out of here. All right. I think I already know this one. Favorite minor league ballpark. <laughs> yeah, that would definitely be uh, Vegas for sure. Favorite indie league ballpark. St. Paul. Okay. Well, it's not indie ball anymore. I played St. Paul, uh, was when I, in the American, we played there in 17. That place was electric. Um, it was, it was crazy how, how much fun it is. And it's, it's a proper that it's a triple A stadium now. Um, it's the true indie ball one that I played in. Trying to think. I don't know. I kind of, I, honestly, San Rafael, where we were at, like it's the definition of, of indie ball for the Pacifics. Like you're, 
you don't have like we had a locker room but like nothing special we had dugouts with uh chain link fence to make the dugouts actual dugouts because or to make them space because the old dugouts from that stadium were not uh were not viable so honestly san rafael that's that's always albert albert park was uh, a fun space fun spot to be weirdest stadium you ever played in because it, especially pecos league and i actually the when you played for the san francisco seagulls i played in that league as well and there were some random like park type fields at some point so what, yeah. what's the weirdest place that you've ever played a, a baseball game weirdest i mean there's i'd say like honestly uh we were in we were in Salina and the park was like 320 or 330 to center field. That was that was an American. And we played there and we weren't the home team, which was even weirder because we were the constant travel team for the American. And that was <laughs> that was I mean, I didn't throw well there either, but that was a it was weird. Like to me, especially having like a 320 center field for a professional stadium. Yeah, that is that is odd. I will I will share mine. We played at a uh, that year. I was in that that same league. I was playing for the team that was in. Uh, we were based in Carson City, and we played in like a city park in Virginia City, Nevada, which is just tiny. It was the weirdest. Like in in the right field was like the it, just beyond the fence was like a Fourth of July barbecue, but it was not for the game. It was the weirdest. Weirdest situation. Um, the last one I've got, I usually ask for a nightmare bus ride story, but because of, again, indie ball travel, do you just have a nightmare travel story from your time in the minors or indie ball or anything? Mm, nightmare travel. I mean, we had to drive ourselves. That was always a nightmare, but. Luckily, I didn't mind driving. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's kind of a positive. Our, my my teammate, he won, he won at the casino in Indi- in uh, Palm outside of Palm Desert, the the Morongo. He won like five thousand dollars the first night. We stopped on our like we stopped there for like three hours. He won five grand, and then we continued our drive back our down to Tucson, and then we stopped back there on the way back, and he won another like nine grand the next day. I was like. Good for you. Um, that sticks in my head because mainly because we're driving ourselves. But I'd say nightmare was honestly our first week in Amarillo. We we got the you remember the the sandwiches that popped up on Twitter and all oh. that the tomato and that was us <laughs> the Firefest sandwiches. So, yeah, that that I would say that was the probably the worst thing of all. Like overall, everything else really wasn't. But maybe I'm just the one that kind of just goes with and didn't really care as much that that could be part of it. Like I, I didn't chalk it up to like, ah, like I kind of said, well, I mean, if you don't like it, play better. That was kind of how my mentality has always kind of been like that. And you get, you get used to it. Jared, that's all I've got for you. Thank you so much for joining from Phenom to the farm. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Of course. And that's it for today's episode of From Phenom to the Farm. Big thanks to Jared Koenig for stopping by, sharing his story. Best of luck to him and the rest of this season. And if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. We'll be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening. <laughs>